And I can wear three different hats here as the, the head of Viewly, the head of Enderby as a producer and also the director on Zero Contact. You know, the first thing as a filmmaker, everyone would, you know, the, as a producer, the directors you work with is theatrical, 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 right? Eyeballs, because that's what they think. You have to ask yourself, where do the, where do the majority of eyeballs sit right now? Streaming. People at home. More people see it. When Netflix, you know, has a hit movie, all the numbers spike across every, you know, website there is. So that's where the eyeballs sit. So as a filmmaker, I want the eyeballs. If your financial gain, you think box office is going to lead to all wins. It's not the case because you got to add the P&A cost. Now, the thing is here is that um, balancing, like the big win here and what we have done at Viewly is, is we've actually got a traditional distributor. It comes out May 27th with Lionsgate and it's coming out in a traditional platform. If you're, you know, Uncle Joe, as we like to refer, you know, you can, you know, you're going to eventually be able to see it on Netflix, surely, but you'll be able to buy it on Amazon, buy it on Apple TV like you do most films. You'll be able to see it in some theaters, actually. But you won't own that. You won't, I mean, you could buy it, I suppose, on Apple, but you won't own and be part of that fan community like you would on the NFT. So the win for Viewly and the win for the NFT marketplace and all of us trying to come up with these creative ways to make films, finance, and distribute is to have it go both sides. You actually have the traditional distributors and you have the NFT play on Viewly. That's a win as creators because it creates another financial component to your finance plan, which ultimately leads to you making your movie. Welcome back to Cool Hand Crypto, where cinema, culture, and crypto collide. My name is Matt Silverman, and just a reminder, my NFT project, The Sherwood Project, is on pre-sale June 1st and public sale June 15th. We're looking for artists, we're making a film, and much more. So head to thesherwoodproject.com for more information. Today's guest is president and CEO of Enderby Entertainment, a film finance and production company. He is co-founder of Viewly, where you can collect, watch, and trade feature-length films and NFT content. And he is the director of the NFT film Zero Contact, starring Hannibal himself, Anthony Hopkins. Rick Dugdale, welcome to the show. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a good conversation. My first question for you, and thank you so much for being here, is why are you the only executive in Hollywood talking about Web3? I think if you compare it to social media, you know, it took years for people in Hollywood to understand the power of social media and what it actually meant. It wasn't just Twitter and Facebook. It was a whole slew of information and data and algorithms behind it. And I think that's where we are right now is you have a lot of people still fearing the unknown. And I'm talking about executives and actual you know, decision makers in Hollywood are fearing the unknown. And it's slowly, slowly coming around. Uh, and I think that's, that's, you know, the next steps is for them to really fully understand it, much like social media. Definitely. So I guess the way I want to kind of structure this conversation is talking about um, traditional production and financing and, and legacy, as someone else has told me, legacy film production and distribution. And then we'll go into Viewly and sort of a, a new way to think about this stuff uh, and zero contact and, and everything else. Um, so let's start with Enderby Entertainment. What is Enderby and what do you do there? So Enderby is a film production company and yes, financing as well. We formed the company officially in 2006. It was my business partner, Dan Petrie Jr. and I, who put this together. Uh, focusing on making films really with a, a writer-centric background. Dan is a very prestigious writer, Academy Award nominated for Beverly Hills Cop, uh, among other things. So really, really looked at story first. You can have great distribution, but it really starts with great content and great stories. So 
coming at it from that, we were really focusing on IP and working with writers and developing so that we could have a slate of projects that really represented the story first. And from there, you know, I think that's where you're going to have success. Before Web3, what is the distribution model for Enderby films? I mean, much like a lot of Hollywood. I mean, let's say all of Hollywood is its traditional distribution is theatrical. It's uh, home video. It's SVOD now. It's AVOD. And of course, you have the streamers. I think that would be all grouped into traditional distribution, even throwing the streamers in there now. Now that we're in a Web3 world with NFTs, that's that's kind of unconventional new method as we're seeing it. Uh, but Enderby's films, we would release traditionally. And that was kind of our inspiration behind forming Viewly and having an NFT play is that you kind of want to take control of it, you know, as rights holders and as filmmakers, take control of it a little more than we've ever been able to. And that was our driving force to set it up. As far as the production side, I know Viewly is about distribution. Are you thinking about Web3 as far as producing films, financing films? Or is it mostly about distribution for you now? You know, we're definitely looking at it from a financing perspective. I mean, Viewly in itself, I think, is something that would be looking at, again, like a traditional distributor where you probably be advancing or pre-buying, going to festivals, you know, getting involved in finance plans, working with the producers and the rights holders and having that as a part of your finance component that wasn't there before. I think that's kind of where we're going with it. And I think that's, you know, you're seeing a lot of people raising money using NFTs and and as long as you're not in that Kickstarter GoFundMe realm, I think I think it has a little more legitimacy to it. You know, I think we're exploring opportunities as well. The big takeaway for me through this whole process is the fan engagement and the community building. You know, we wanna as filmmakers, you wanna know your fans. You wanna speak to the community. And a lot of times when you're releasing traditionally, you don't have that ability to fully engage because you have it's very um, bifurcated. You have a, a marketing department or the studio does their thing and releases it as they see fit to some degree. And with Web3, we, we want the ability to talk to our fans, listen, hear, learn, respect, and, and earn their respect and make things that play into what their, uh, their hopes and their desires are, what kind of content they want to see. I read on the website the model is collect, watch, trade. So can you explain those three facets of it? Yeah, I think it's, it's the same thing when you look at, you know, if you back in the day, you'd have your VHS collection and you would collect VHSs, you'd buy them and you'd, everyone has a, a library of VHS tapes, hopefully not still VHS tapes, but DVDs and Blu-rays. And the ability to collect, I think now with streaming and memberships, people people still want to own and touch and feel something, right? Now we're taking that to the next level, owning and owning, yes, touching and feeling, not necessarily touching and feeling an NFT, but I think, you know, collecting something that you feel part of it, you feel, even if it was that DVD Blu-ray, right? If you own an NFT now, you feel part of something and being able to hold it in your digital wallet on the Beauty platform and having the ability to trade it. If you have a VHS tape, once, it's, once you've watched it, what do you do with it? You share it with your friend, maybe it goes to the summer cottage. It goes to a garage sale for a dollar. Having the ability to own something that has the chance to increase in value, not devalue. You can, you can watch it, you can hold it in your digital wallet, you feel part of something. And we haven't had that for years. And that's what you're seeing with NFTs. And that's what we're trying to do at Viewly. We're building a project and we really wanted to give back to our community as well. But as soon as we start into any kind of 
um, revenue sharing or any kind of the, the our community gets money. We ran into a securities issue and our, our lawyers were kind of like, we could go there, but we don't want to go there. So I'm curious if how you're exploring that, because that seems, especially in other countries, um, they seem to already be doing that. They seem to be letting the community kind of become producers in a lot of way and and share in, in sort of the tokenization of the film and all that. But it doesn't seem like we can do that here. So what's been your experience with that? Yeah, yeah. So I can talk a little bit about this. And I do defer to uh, lawyers. I'm not a lawyer, but we have certainly been in this space. Uh, the minute you you are raising financing for anything, if you are selling an NFT with the hopes of parking revenues or future revenues that can be generated into that NFT, that's a security. And that is an SEC violation. And there's regulation around that, obviously. But what you're seeing is that, whether it be the board apes and their token drop, is that it's all about utility. So if you're raising money in the space and you're actually selling an NFT that has utility, it's not tied to revenue. It's not tied to give me a dollar and we'll protect your dollar by X right? You're selling them something. They're buying the t-shirt for $10 and that's all you get right now, because you have the t-shirt, you get access to the concert and you get access to the book club and you get access to buy the next t-shirt when it goes on sale, right? So that is not a violation. Again, I defer to the legal team, but that's essentially what it is. And you're seeing a lot of people getting caught up in this and tripping over, well, I'm going to raise money for my film with NFTs. You can't even say that term. You can't raise money. You can sell something and use the proceeds to create the movie that you want to make, but you are selling something. It's a complete transaction at that point. Do you feel like um, with utility, at least in the U.S. W along these lines, is it becoming, you know, that's a struggle that we continually face is how do we give our community more utility? How do we give them more things to do? And with movies, I'm wondering if it's like, it's starting to become almost like an, a, a boosted version of the special features DVD, right, where you get deleted scenes and things like that, which which are which I love. You know, this is I'm a, I'm a cinephile. I love that stuff. Um, but you want to do that, and you want to do more. So, can you maybe go talk a little bit more about that utility with Viewly and and sort of what you see for the future of Viewly utility? Yeah, yeah. So that that's you know we always would refer to it as the bonus features in a DVD box set on steroids. Right. You know, right. and you got to be creative, and you got to have utility. You got to think of it like the fan. If you're trying to get someone to buy the NFT, they've already got this psychology of I'm going to own something and be part of something. So what is that fan wanting to be part of? Is it in our case, what we had the, you know, we had the ability because the way we shot zero contact. But what we did is the first 11 holders actually were able to reshoot a character into the movie. Awesome. Now, I don't think that's ever been done. So you can play a part and we say, okay, so we were, you know, we contact the holders and say, okay, here's the part you can play. Here are the lines. And we came together on Zoom with our whole production team and they reshot a character. So the film that they have, when they watch it with their friends, that's in their digital wallet, they're the co-star of the movie. And that's utility that is very unique and creative. And I think what you're seeing a lot of them is whether it be, you know, access to the set and Zoom calls with the producers and, you know, that's all fine, I think. And that's, a utility that's valuable, especially when we're demystifying Hollywood a little bit here, because there is certainly like 
I'll never have the chance to talk to a Hollywood star. I'll never have the chance to understand what a writer's room is all about, right? That's that's really what we're trying to do here is demystifying it, listen to the fans and engage them. So I think you need to be creative. And I think you're seeing a long list of utility. And, and in my mind, there can't be too much. You know, if you're issuing an NFT and you're, you're having access to the set, to, uh, you know, one-on-one uh, -on -one with the screenwriter to understand screenwriting. Um, let's do that because you're really just engaging with that fan who really just wants to know screenwriting. Time permitting, let's do that, right? And that that's the list, one of the things that can be on your utility list. But I don't think there can be um, too many uh, uses of utility. Are you finding that, and this is something we're continually trying to gauge, is that we know there's a, a massive audience for cinema and for movies, um, but we aren't sure how big the audience is for that behind-the-scenes look, for that getting to talk with the writer, getting to be in the movie. We love that. We're, we're filmmakers. We want to do all of that, and we're trying to see, is there a huge appetite for that or not? Um, so what has been your experience engaging that? Yeah, I think you, you start with, uh, you know, going back to, like, the birth of Comic-Con and these conventions, these, these artist talent conventions and the lineups of people who want autographs, the, the film festivals that have panels and roundtables to understand and learn, you know, maybe the secret sauce or what's behind the curtain. Um, that's that's the, the core target group that you're going after right away. How do you expand that and get a wider audience? I think that's kind of collectively what we're trying to do. But it's, it is that collectability mentality. It's people feeling that they don't have to pay a membership. You know, this, uh, this isn't a $9.99 monthly membership. This is something that I own. And, and I think it starts with the Comic-Con audience. I think someone would tell you that the birth of blockchain and NFTs are probably came from the mind of the people who watched and played Dungeons and Dragons in the 80s on their Geminis or Calicos or whatever. It's that mentality of, of uh, you know, gamifying and all this stuff. So I think you have to come at it from what is the consumer? Why does the consumer want to be part of it? And give them that. And I think it starts with that collectible Comic-Con kind of audience. How do you balance being sort of exclusive on Viewly or the exclusivity of the features you get with Viewly with wanting to get these films out to a wider audience, out on all the streamers, out in theaters where it's not so exclusive? Anybody can go. So how do you balance those two things? And, and what do you, where do you think that's going? How, are we, how, as filmmakers, are we able to offer... Um, something exclusive in NFT form and Web3 form while getting it out to the bigger audiences? Well, great question. And, and it's fortunately, I can wear three different hats here as the, the head of Viewly, the head of Enderby as a producer and also the director on Zero Contact. You know, the first thing as a filmmaker, everyone would, you know, the, as a producer, the directors you work with is theatrical, 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 right? Eyeballs, because that's what they think. You have to ask yourself, where do the, where do the majority of eyeballs sit right now? Streaming. People at home, more people see it. When Netflix, you know, has a hit movie, all the numbers spike across every, you know, website there is. So that's where the eyeballs sit. So as a filmmaker, I want the eyeballs. If your financial gain, you think box office is going to lead to all wins, it's not the case because you got to have the P&A cost. Now, the thing is here is that um, balancing, like the big win here and what we have done at Viewly is, is we've actually got a traditional distributor. It comes out May 27th with Lionsgate and it's coming out in a traditional platform. If you're, you know, Uncle Joe, as we like to refer, you know, you can, you know, 
you're going to eventually be able to see it on Netflix, surely, but you'll be able to buy it on Amazon, buy it on Apple TV, like you do most films. You'll be able to see it in some theaters, actually, but you won't own that. You won't, I mean, you could buy it, I suppose, on Apple, but you won't own and be part of that fan community like you would on the NFT. So the win for Viewly and the win for the NFT marketplace and all of us trying to come up with these creative ways to make films, finance, and distribute is to have it go both sides. You actually have the traditional distributors and you have the NFT play on Viewly. That's a win as creators because it creates another financial component to your finance plan, which ultimately leads to you making your movie, which can lead to making further movies and creating more content. So for us, I think the big win across the board, you have a traditional distributor and you have success as an NFT on Viewly. And that's what we've done so far. Do you think you'd ever want films or your films or other films exclusively on Viewly and, and not anywhere else? Or is that it, does that not make sense? I, I think there's a time for that. I think there's certainly films that would work only as NFTs, not necessarily traditional. But I think if you have any kind of moderate success as an NFT, then the wider audience is going to want to look at it. And that's not the same customer as an NFT sale, certainly. So it seems obvious that it would have a traditional life as well. Uh, I do think that if you have a universe of gamified world building, you know, like Zero Contact, we are doing part two and three. And yes, it's a universe and it's a world that could lead to items in the metaverse and different mediums. And I think, you know, to get the benefit of that world or that project and title, you probably want to see it as an NFT so that you can engage and probably utilize your NFT and you know, all the other components to that it makes more sense to me. But at the same time, you know, you are not going to have mass adoption at a hundred percent rate, maybe ever. Right. So you still, you know, the ultimate thing is you're leaving money on the table if you're not releasing traditionally. But, you know, I think the key component is to own the NFT if you have a world that you've built. Regarding that world and, and regarding building community, are you building a Viewly community? Are you building a project by project, so a zero contact community or both? Um, and how are you building those communities? We are on Discord. Currently, we have a uh, Viewly uh, Discord that is really ramping up. We're building out the community. Um, we're gearing up for a big, big marketing outreach starting next week as we release you know, further the, the Lionsgate releases coming out. We're really focused on building and speaking to the, the Viewly Discord team, sorry, the community, um, primarily on there and on Twitter. The Zero Contact universe, there's certainly, there's not a Discord uh, dedicated to that, but there are social media handles on Twitter and Instagram for that. And as we announce different stages of part two and three coming up, there will be a whole rollout of really what we're going to be doing with the Zero Contact franchise. Yeah, let's dig into Zero Contact. What is Zero Contact? What's it about? And uh, and then we'll get into the making of it. Zero Contact is the story of a tech titan who basically goes missing and is uh, brings together these five people that all have to enter a code to find out whether they have to activate this machine. But they're not sure who invited them and whatever happened to Finley Hart, who were, is presumed dead from five years ago. So this is a film that came together uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, and we all came together in a think tank globally. We have partners all over the world and said, well, how do you make a film if we can't be in the same room together? Now, of course, this is in week two of the pandemic. We thought it would last maybe four weeks. And uh, we ended up coming up with a concept and creating a story. And uh, probably a month later, we had a script ready to shoot. And we shot this film all remotely. And the outcome uh, really took off. We got into post-production and everyone said, wait a second. We need a little more time to make this right. And 
now you can see the finished product. Had you met Anthony Hopkins prior to this film? I uh, did a film called Blackway with him uh, seven, eight years ago, actually. So I knew him. I knew, I would like to think I knew how he functioned a little bit, what he'd be interested in. And I was fortunate enough to know him and his family. So it, it took a, it was definitely a sales pitch to get him to do it because like, like all the actors, it's like, well, I'm not doing a film. I'm not getting off my couch until there's a vaccine. And well, you don't actually have to get off your couch for this one. And it became this whole logistical, technical explanation of how to create this scale and scope and, you know, multi-day shoot and all this stuff, uh, ultimately to make sure the production value is there. What we didn't want to make, this is not a Zoom movie. This is, we use Zoom as a device to stand on set. Uh, and then we MacGyvered the movie. You know, we tried to understand who had equipment, what kind of equipment, what equipment we had to ship there in advance. And then from there you say, here's the, here's the tools we have and let's, how do we make the scene? And so knowing Anthony Hopkins and his family, it allowed me to explain beat by beat how we were going to pull this off, uh, which was quite entertaining, certainly. Well, Hopkins is definitely one of my favorite TikTokers, so I'm not surprised he's adopting uh, <laughs> new platforms like this um, when, he's, when he's all over TikTok. So who was his cameraman? Was it a family member that was his Zoom cameraman, essentially? Yeah, exactly. He had family in his house, so he had, he had you know, two family members that helped support the project, and uh, we walked him through. We were on Zoom with our cinematographer talking about you know, lens changes, and we had sound equipment that was shipped in early so they could figure out how to use the sound equipment. And we're sending YouTube tutorials on how to you know, turn the mics on and very, very uh, logistics heavy. Yeah. Um, and I remember, remember the first scene that we shot and we were, you know, outside his house on Zoom on, in cars and we had Wi-Fi issues. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God. And it was like, and we were like, wow, here we go. We're actually going to shoot Anthony Hopkins. Okay, let's let's roll sound. And we're like, okay, I think, I think we're speeding. Okay, and action. And then we lose signal. So we can't see him, but we can hear it coming through the context. Wow. And I remember him going after, okay, so how'd it look? Like, what are you supposed to say to him? Well, we didn't actually see it. Yeah. You say it looks great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you're lying and his family's aware right. of it. So, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, so yeah. it's like, so we're like, you know what? We didn't see it. It sounded great. And he's like, well, how the hell do we make a movie like this? This isn't going to work. And, uh, and yeah. the funny thing is we obviously fixed the technical problems we got going, but the take we used was the take that we couldn't see at the time, which is hysterical. So, but yeah, technical problems were part of it. I didn't realize you, know, you were sort of on location um, even though you weren't necessarily in the room, you were you were outside a house, let's say. Uh, Correct. How much yes. of the film was that kind of thing? There was two two filming locations like that. That really, uh, just because of capabilities, we were able to go. The rest of it shot all over the world. You know, these two locations in LA allowed us to again still have zero contact with the actors, be outside the room, outside that building actually. Um, so that the rest of it was all shot. You know, we were doing company moves. You're filmmakers, so you'll, you'll respect this. A company move across town is one thing, but when you're filming in Tokyo and you do a company move to Serbia in the middle of the night yeah. and into Germany and to France, all in the same call sheet, basically. Yeah. Right. So whenever someone complains about company moves, have I got a story for you? But um, it was interesting because we'd put people on standby. We'd be there in an hour and you'd have a different Zoom link. Okay, you guys ready to shoot? Here we go. It was really cool. I was going to say your best friend must have been the IT guy helping, helping connect you. <laughs> For sure. 
For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't like the Wi-Fi provider a few times, but that was part of it. Where was headquarters otherwise? Was it Enderby office or, or was it some other location? It was. So it was actually, you know, when we went into this, there was nothing open. There were no offices, right? We were all working from home. So I had a home office at the time. And when we put this together, you know, it was, I had intended to run it from a war room of sorts with monitors, you know, which I have. So you'd have Germany and you'd have Japan, you'd tune in like a live broadcast. That was kind of the theory how we do this. And then when we got the script, you know, my colleague said, so who's going to direct this? And I said, uh, well, I guess I will. And, uh, and it, because it was this war room setting, then you realize, well, someone's got to talk to the actors and someone's got to explain the set. Someone's got to pitch how the hell this is going to make sense and not be a waste of their time. So, so we shot the whole thing from my office in LA, my home office in LA, and we worked all through the night in different time zones. And, and that was part of it too. Um, heavy logistics, but in the end, you would see the performance and you would see the buy-in. And then the actors, we fortunately knew, and they're close friends of ours. And Alex Ponovic, I'd worked with, Chris Burshu, I'd done two or three films with. So you see them pouring their heart out in this performance over Zoom. And you would see the, the editor and the AD who were on the Zoom, and we'd turn our cameras off, but you would see them, you'd see, I'd be seeing their faces going, you know, and it was, it was just so, these actors poured it out on, on Zoom, and, and that's when you could see our editor go, I, I think we actually have something here. Amazing. And, and that's, you know, it was pretty pretty cool experience. How many day shoot was it? <laughs> Let's see, that's funny. It's either like uh, 92 days. Okay, um, wow. Or three, be, <laughs> yeah. because it was, it was spread out. We had, um, it was primarily over a month of shooting, actually. And then we did do some pickups, uh, later a couple months later that we required so but it wasn't that cut and dry of a call sheet because you couldn't the, the reality was because everyone's just working from home it was not like hey can we uh start shooting next wednesday it's like hey what are you doing in a few hours right right um you know because it was the, the height of it or the very beginning when like the apocalypse had just started you know and uh it wasn't quite like that we obviously had a schedule but it was certainly like even even our colleagues in Japan, like these are top filmmakers in all their countries because they also weren't shooting, right? So it wasn't like we're busy, Hollywood's busy functioning at full capacity and you're working with, you know, student filmmakers because they're not shooting film. These are, you know, the Netflix show in Japan went down because they couldn't shoot. Well, they became available, our friends. And so you had these top people sitting in their countries the same way we were. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. What do you want to do? Well, let's hop on Zoom. I'm going to explain to you how we're going to pull this off yeah. and not be fully experiential and a waste of someone's, you know, of everyone's time. Yeah. So. Incredible. Took a sales pitch, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, I'm sure Be because it was so logistical heavy and because it was shot in a very sort of non-traditional schedule, how did you as the director keep the story in place as opposed to uh, figuring out how to connect on zoom, but really say, okay, let me, let me put my director hat on and make sure this story is tracking from day to day. Yeah. It, look, it starts with a team and it starts with a good script and thank God we had those in spades. Um, Cam Cannon has worked for us for a few years. I've known him for almost 20 years. He's a top tier screenwriter. The guy just has six scripts in his head at one time that he can just spout out. You know, he is obviously he was, He's also a producer and he was on all the Zooms with me. He was definitely helping help to uh, keep the story intact. We also had an amazing AD who ran the set like a real set, which is uh, was also fascinating. 
Um, we had a production designer who we worked with. We had a, a DP, Ed Lucas, who I've worked with on 12 different films. And so, you know, the team, our editor, I mean, again, film really needs a good editor. And thank God we had Hawken Carlson. And I had done, I think, seven films with Hawken, who's based in Sweden. So he would actually join the set. He's like, I don't get to go to set this often. Right. So here he is on Zoom. And so you have the editor in my ear as well saying, we're going to need this in post. We're going to need this. Let's try this. So it, it takes a team, you know, especially as a first time, you know, director. Ultimately, if I was ever going to go into that, it's going to be the team that we have. And so it was incredible. And and standing on Zoom, it was it, it really felt like we were on a real film set. You know, you actually had the production designer saying, well, those blinds behind you, Matt, you know, can you turn on maybe the color tones off? Let's change your furniture. That's how we did it. And it was like a, a real film set. And even the mentality for the actors to put them in the zone. It's like, okay, guys, pictures up. All right, let's roll camera, which means they push record themselves. It was a real film set. We tried to make it feel like that as much as possible to get the best performance we could. Even with this show, you know, we're doing this over over the internet, and there's there's a delay when we're talking a little. There's a couple second delay before between my voice and your voice. Did you have to? Did you have any issues like that as far as everything being remote and Zoom and this and that and having sort of delays mess up? Uh, so which you can fix in post. You can obviously fix all of this in post. But were there any battles as far as that kind of thing? There was. I mean, honestly, we had issues with internet connection. We were doing, we were doing like running around Kalamagdan Park in Belgrade, Serbia, with a laptop pairing to a phone, trying to send us a signal to see what it looked like, and ultimately had to abort and just let the actress Angela capture herself quickly, send me the footage to say, "Yeah, frame looks good. That's good." Right now, <clears throat> but you always also had to remember with the actors is that. Zoom was a device to stand on set, not a Zoom movie, because we had cameras, whether it be, you know, DSLRs and sometimes, again, the medium, we use different uh, types of iPhones. And so the way we train them and whether you had a camera mount right here, right behind your laptop. So the lens I'm looking into, the camera lens is like right above it. Right. So that's different. But so if there was a Wi-Fi issue or a delay and they would, they would freeze, that happened a lot. But the film, the camera didn't freeze. So we knew that the footage was still in the camera. And so we just assumed, okay, hey, Chris, you know, listen, we, we didn't see that one, but uh, how did you feel about it? He's like, I think it was my best performance. Great, we got three takes before that. I feel good, you feel good, let's move on, right? So it was not, we would capture it sometimes. We would capture all of the you know, set zooms as for BTS and for reference video, but uh, the cameras on the set always were rolling. No hairs in the gate, I hope. Amazing. Can you talk a little bit about um, the NFT zero contact? Lead lead listeners through um, if they haven't if they've never been to Viewly, you know what do you do? How do you get it? What do you get from it? How do you watch it? How does it work? So I think what's key here is that it is a noisy marketplace. The term NFT can be noisy. Crypto, blockchain, these people don't really understand the differences of all of them. So Viewly is this: it's a film distribution company using NFT technology. We distribute movies and collectibles tied to the films that we are releasing. That's it. Currently, we're not financing. There's no financial structures. There's no crowdfunding, no nothing like that. So that is kind of really the simple form. So if you buy Zero Contact as an NFT, and there's different, different bundles, there's the Platinum Edition, the Collector's Edition, that come with different inclusions in them. So if you get one of the first 11, like I said, that we're on OpenSea as, a, as our launch, our starting starting the engines for Vili, 
those have a lot more different inclusions. But in the 2500 drop that we did, um, those have everything from digitally signed posters to randomly minted characters that you get, which is really actually interesting because all the characters in the film, I think we have eight or nine characters in the film that get randomly minted. So you, just like a baseball card pack, you might get, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. You might get Michael Jordan in the basketball pack. So are you going to get Anthony Hopkins or are you going to get, you know, uh, Alex Ponovic? You don't know. That part to me personally is a really cool experience. Like once you see it and that's kind of crypto art that's been created that are collectible items. And those inclusions can all be broken up and sold on the Viewly marketplace. And you're seeing it now. Ultimately, once they all sell out, the only place you would ever get these is on the marketplace. So we, we look forward to that day, clearly. But you're seeing some of the collectible cards already being traded on the secondary market on the Viewly marketplace. So, you know, I, it's, it's really about being part of something. And obviously with this and Viewly, we have Zero Contact 2 and 3 coming with some really exciting news coming up once we announce the cast that's joining it. And, you know, I, I always... I compare it to a Lord of the Rings without maybe the billions of dollars attached to it, but it's, it's a world that you are building and Zero Contact 1 was an unconventional film that might just lead to a conventional franchise and yet unconventionally distributed. How are you onboarding the rest of Hollywood? How are you working? I mean, I think a part of it is doing discussions like this, but it's still, I, I find when I try to talk with um, people in Los Angeles working in the entertainment industry, as soon as I mention any of these words, um, they just don't want to listen. They just don't care. And, and uh, it's, it's a slow process that the whole point of this show for me is to learn and educate myself and become aware of the space. But it's definitely an uphill battle. Uh, so how, what's your experience as far as like getting new people and the rest of Hollywood to, to listen to you? I think of this every day, your, this question. And I, I look at the trajectory of my own career. And I think it starts with patience. You just got to put the time in and you got to be patient. And, and for me, it's education. Like I spend 95% of my day just educating and answering questions like this and trying to get people to understand what it means. I think when you're talking to Hollywood executives, you can lead with more revenue, I think gets their attention. And then you reverse back from there to explain how, how that, um, you know, how you get there. And I think, for example, a lot of the concerns I had personally as a, as a producer was, if you release it as an NFT, is it a revenue stream that never existed? Or do you create downstream problems because your AVOD deals won't exist or your output deals with Hulu would go away because they think another platform above the food chains released, therefore cutting into your output deal. But it actually on that is actually the opposite because what they're seeing is more market exposure increases the value of your potential output deals and increases more of the, the TV license potentially that would be on the table. So what you're seeing is it's literally a revenue stream that didn't exist. It doesn't have to sit above theatrical. It can, it can be the same time that your home video box set comes out, you could release an NFT, right? If you're Marvel and you're releasing on 5,000 screens, you could release 100 NFTs at the same time or 60 days before. There's no exact science as to what window is best for your movie. But with Hollywood executives, it's, it's again, it's the social media side of things. They're, they're slowly coming around to it. It's just going to take time and the right knowledge going to them to explain it. If you, if you actually come across like it's crowdfunding and Kickstarter, they know that. They know that game. They know all about it. And a lot of the studios don't want to be in that game. And that's why we're trying to actually have 
you know, the, the profile of, you know, actors that are in the films that we release on Dealey so that you kind of have a level of, you know, under, they'll understand if it's these higher quality films that can be released, not a, um, I don't want to say gimmicky, but if once you go down that path, the studios don't necessarily want to be part of that. Where can people find you? Where can people find Viewly? Give us all the links. Viewly is on Discord. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. You can find us there, I think, pretty easily. Myself, I'm on Instagram. Enderby's on Facebook, Instagram. Um, find us anywhere. Also, you know, reach out. If you have questions on the, you know, that you want to ask in the Viewly Discord, you know, Matt, we can do one of these again. We also have Viewly chats running as well. Uh, we're going to have a big Viewly chat live from uh, Ken next week. And uh, that should be fun. So join us on Discord. Ask as many questions as you can. Let us listen and learn from the actual fan and see if we can answer your questions and be part of it. That's We're here to earn the respect of the community, not here to take advantage of it, certainly. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Anytime.